0: now bounces far post salt lake score tate Schmitz, their hero a week ago has put them ahead against nashville sc in the 54th minute and rsl is riding a rocky mountain high for the first time in 570 days depending on when you're listening to this the boys in gold are riding a losing streak. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice, Wes Bowling.
1: And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com.
0: Fresh off the plane from Charlotte, North Carolina. Can't wait to talk about your experience down there with Charlotte FC and New England. Impressive game, by the yeah, way. It was, it, was,
1: it was a good time. We'll get to it uh, towards the end.
0: Well, as always, we are sponsored by ML Rose, and our soundtrack comes from Moon Taxi. Credit to iHeartRadio for the highlight you just heard of Tate Schmidt's match winner in the 54th minute at Rio Tinto Stadium. They call it the riot, and Salt Lake brought the fight to the boys in gold. Nonetheless, Tim, that pun aside, signs of progress for Nashville from the Dallas loss, but that progress just not reflected in the final result.
1: Yeah, on any given day, you are what the scoreboard ultimately says you are. But as it relates to kind of the rest of the season and what it means for expectations, it wasn't a poor game. If you play well and lose, you still lose. But it might mean better things going forward.
0: Yeah, so mixed feelings perhaps for some supporters and some people just flat angry because two losses are disappointing for a club that has certainly set itself up to uh, cultivate high expectations. We'll get into all of it today. In the early shout, what do the numbers say? Of course, we're gonna to go to the numbers and try to escape the feelings ball where we can about NSE's performance in Salt Lake and can we trust those metrics in a match where Game State did play such a large factor? Does that maybe seek to minimize what Nashville did in the attack? And our gold nuggets, we're gonna go back to Nashville's first four road matches last year extremely different circumstances for many reasons and yet it's i think it contextualizes things just a little bit to compare what nashville's done in its first four away from home this year versus in 2020 the mailbag asks about set piece defense as once again nashville concedes a corner kick goal we will also analyze the form and the function of the nsc attack what positives can we take away from the match and the weekly aki loba inquiry of course and they'll go outside in nervy times friends U.S. Men's National Team in its final qualifying window. And as straightforward as the task ahead looks, we know it's never actually that simple for this national team. And so we will get in our feelings a little bit there. But first, Tim, Club and Country is sponsored by... ML
1: Rose. ML Rose is is a business that you and I have both been long time. Consumers of both food and beverage from, and we're very happy that they wanted to partner with us, and we're very happy that they want to support not just... Uh, our podcast, but kind of the the bigger picture of soccer in the city of Nashville. I
0: yeah. went Friday afternoon tip, and I finally did something I've been meaning to do for a decade now. Probably I had the Carolina <laughs> Sweets, which <laughs> oh, I dude, raved that's, about. The go-to. that's
1: the go to. That's the go to. I had that for like eighty percent of of my meals the first couple months I moved to Nashville.
0: <laughs> it's it's a meal in an appetizer for sure because you've got oh, yeah. the sweet potato waffle fries, but then you have like the the pulled pork on top. It's it's mm-hmm. really smoky and flavorful. I like sweet and salty together, but I really like sweet and smoky. Like, that combo is great with, like, the honey mustard on top, drizzle on top of it. Um, yeah, I actually was not the one to order it. My buddy did. We were watching the NCAA tournament together. It was a great atmosphere. The sliding doors were open, so, you know, the weather was kind of just coming inside. It felt like you were kind of outside watching games, but you are still undercover. He ordered the Carolina Sweets, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm usually more of a yeah, be like, Yeah,
1: Tim guy. has been telling me that I need to get exactly. this. He's mentioned it on all of our podcasts since ML Rose joined on as a sponsor. And I've Somehow it has it.
0: not been your content recommendation yet, although it does fit <laughs> in the category of not actual content. <laughs> and it was they were great. They were really good. I followed up with my go-to burger, the Animal Burger, which I would not had the past three or four times I'd been to ML Rose. But it was a tremendous place to watch. Uh, a great first-round Friday of NCAA basketball. I mark that Thursday and Friday as, as two of the best days on the sports calendar. I think a lot of us do. And so it was... A great atmosphere, a great place. It was busy, but not so busy that the bartender doesn't look your way. We were attended we uh, attended to very well, and uh, I was there for three, four hours watching basketball, sipping on beer, eating Carolina sweets. Living the burger. dream. I was living the dream, unlike living the nightmare of my Tennessee Volunteers losing to Michigan <laughs> the next day in uh, in the second round. Anyway, great burgers and ambiance. Convenience to the new stadium, too. And Moros has four locations, including the one on 8th Avenue. A very short but much debated, uh, in terms of distance, walk or drive from the stadium. Very short. Very short I walk can tell drive.
1: you from personal experience that it's walkable.
0: I I backed it up. I've backed that up now and done it, too. You're right. You're right on. But that convenience is great. We'll still keep having the watch parties for every road match, which uh, there's a lot of watch parties because there's a lot of road matches early on this year. So a great array of chances to go enjoy their large diverse locally driven craft beer list and burgers when you think nashville sc when you think club and country think ml rose all right let's head to our early shout we'll see which one of them tries to bend this one in it's going to be Hani. goes back post ball headed in guess who it is walker zimmerman walker rises to new altitudes his head is a beacon in the salt lake city night that is iHeartRadio's call of Walker Zimmerman's equalizing goal on the 25th minute, the high point of the match for Nashville SC. His first of the season, Hani Mukhtar's second assist. Tim, it was the bright spot, certainly, on a night that Nashville supporters, again, may look back on with some mixed feelings, mostly negative because there was a loss. Ultimately, there's going to be frustration there. But it was a seesaw match that had better moments for the boys in gold, Nonetheless, ended in zero points. Nashville largely
1: dominated possession, and I think you could fairly say they dominated scoring chances and and good scoring chances. But a torrid start to the year for RSL goalkeeper Zach McMath uh, continued against Nashville SC, and then then the boys in gold had a couple slip ups at the back. And all of a sudden, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, A very positive feeling game at times ultimately is going to feel pretty negative when you end up on the wrong side of the scoreboard.
0: And while the attack was better, we can discuss why in, in just a few moments, the defense continues to generate that biggest talking point for supporters and i think probably for this club tactically too internally which was another set piece goal conceded bobby wood opened the scoring 90 seconds in that was the earliest goal ever scored against nashville sc second set piece goal now they've given up this year that in and of itself after four games wouldn't be terribly alarming certainly the sample size is minuscule But then you look at last year, 25% of their concessions coming off set pieces. That was the third highest percentage in MLS. And so Tim, the the corner kick goal raises that question. I'll let Payne Sito ask it. He threw it into our mailbag. Is Nashville a bad set piece defending team? Or is it just so hard to score on Nashville that a set piece is just about the only way to do it? There's a little bit of both. Um, Nashville was pretty much just as elite against set
1: pieces as during the run of play in their inaugural year back in 2020. Um, A lot of the goals that came last year and and so far this season kind of seem like odd one-off moments that are unlikely to recur. But when you have a a broad range of one-off moments that are unlikely to recur and they all kind of have an underlying similarity, that's something that the scoreboard ultimately doesn't lie when you start to rack up enough of those. So NSC is 18th in preventing set piece goals and first by a mile in preventing all other types of goals over the past 12 months. So this is a club that, um, you know, even if it isn't necessarily, you know, terrible at defending set pieces, it's just about middle of the pack, but when you look at everything else that this club does just defensively, especially, and see that that's not up the standard that they're trying to chase on set pieces, it is something that you kind of have to look at and say, yeah, because this club is so elite defensively in the run of play, it is the only way to do it, but it shouldn't be as easy to do it either.
0: And I keep trying to rack my brain, trying to figure out and reconcile how a team that is so stout defensively can can struggle on set pieces. And I keep going back to my past as a football reporter and your present as a football writer. And I start I started thinking of set pieces as a third phase of the game. You know, kind mm-hmm. of like offense, defense, and special teams in, in football. Right? That mm-hmm. that you have elements of defense and of offense and special teams, but ultimately it's its own animal. And you can be a good defensive team in college football or the pros and and still give up some some long kick returns and punt returns, et cetera. Do you see it that way? Is it just a different phase of the game that requires different planning, a different mentality, or am I being a little too general here? There's an element of that for
1: sure, but um, a lot of the things that should allow you to be good in that phase of the game are the things that should allow you to be good in the other phases of the game too. So if you're good at the other ones, it's not like uh, a kicker comes out and and is doing something that you don't do on offense or defense ever um, this is still a dude kicking a ball and a dude potentially heading the ball, potentially you know firing away from, from a little bit more distance in, in uh, the case of Emmanuel Reynoso. These are still soccer things. It's, n- it's not yeah. quite as distinct from the rest of the game as what you see with a sport like football, for example. But to a certain extent, it, it still is um a, a, its own phase of the game. I, I think soccer probably has more, more faces than that. This is not a a soccer philosophy podcast, but when you look at transition offense, transition defense, Mm -hmm. resting offense, resting defense set pieces, there are enough kind of different phases that they all bring their own sort of thing. But the the underlying uh, activities are more similar to each other than you might see in, in something like special teams on football.
0: That's fair. I think that's completely fair. Uh, speaking of set pieces, though, Nashville did have a positive moment off set piece as well. Walker Zerman equalizing in the 25th minute off that Hani Mukhtar free kick. And Tim, as disappointing as the result will be for Nashville SC, there were those signs of positivity from the attack, not just on that goal but really in open play also throughout the night. there's the most shots on target for NSC, eight of them since the 5-1 win at Inter-Miami last September. I believe you may qualify that later and say, and I agree that shots on target are not the most indicative metric, but when you have eight of them, you're doing something, right? Yeah, you're putting yourself yeah. in good positions to uh, to take quality shots. Um, so most shots on target again for NSC, eight of them since that 5-1 win in Miami last September. Um, Nashville's only surpassed eight shots on frame four times in its MLS history. All of them were last year. They won three of those matches. They drew the other one. So, Tim, should Nashville SC supporters be encouraged by improvements in the attack? And John Hobenreich asks that. Any, anything good to take away from the, ma- from, from the match? He said he thought that Nashville used width a bit more and paid some dividends. But we also have to... Ask the question on the other side Was game state the biggest factor here? Was it that Nashville was down 1 0 and that attack was forced to get into gear? And so they, they had to abandon some of their defensive solidity in exchange for a tough attack? And does that impact Nashville's attacking performance? I think big picture, it was honestly the best attacking performance so far this
1: year. It was one of the best defensive performances on a minute-to-minute basis, too. There were obviously a couple of massive brain farts that kind of obscured how good the the minute-to-minute defensive performance was. But, I mean, again, no amount of optimism that you take away from it means that it it isn't a loss in the the scorebook. It's going to be a loss in the scorebook forever and ever until the scorebook goes away. Um, As I mentioned, there's a reason to believe – that Nashville SC might be legitimately poor against that pieces. But when you project it forward, it, it's it's not the worst game by any stretch of your imagination.
0: Yeah, and I think you know we can have the game state conversation too and suggest that maybe Nashville was a little more assertive in the attack a little earlier because it was down and chasing the game. But still, to me, the fact that they could pull that off, that they could look bright and purposeful, it's it's not a qualifier that makes the result feel better. But it does point forward at what Nashville can yeah. accomplish in the future. And I think you know in these next four, they need that bit of encouragement and confidence. like this game can give them that in the attack.
1: Yeah, I also the, the game state thing, I'm not sure about because Nashville SC yes did accumulate mm, about three quarters of an expected goal after going down uh, two to one and obviously accumulated all basically all of their XG between the, the opening RSL goal and their own tying goal. Um, All of that was after the RSL goal because that was immediate, basically. But when you look at when the, the game state was even, Nashville was still doing more against RSL than RSL was doing against Nashville. I do think it was a game where you saw, at least from an expected goal perspective, that it wasn't so skewed by game state. Yes, game state is always going to be a factor, but it wasn't one where you look at and say, oh, this team was just peppering shots because they were trying to play catch up, and that that obscures what this game really looked like. Nashville dominated possession, dominated shots, regardless of what the game state was at any point in the game, and I think that that's something that, again, they can take away positively.
0: Point taken, absolutely, and that's that's extremely encouraging, I think, or at least somewhat encouraging I think, to, <laughs> uh, to folks but but also too i think game state's only half the story yes you're more prone to possess when you're down um doesn't necessarily result in product and nashville had product yeah. still um and i mm-hmm. think the fact that they can do that is independent of whether they were down one nil two nil or eight nil um or, or up uh, gary smith's postgame comments reflected that mixed reality to improved play that wasn't reflected on the scoreboard don't have the clip for you so i'll read it i will not read it in gary smith's british accent although i was in eighth grade um james and james the giant peach in our middle school play um congrats man who is I, the, I, who is the grasshopper is that what the other there's thing? a grasshopper there's a ladybug yeah yeah Had all kinds spider, of spider i think friends. i want to say a spider yep yeah. yep still friends with the spider she's we're, very we're, nice we're big doll heads
1: on this on this
0: podcast. spider's married now with three kids and and doing well and uh yeah uh, but but i i did use the british accent for that play it was about the last time i've gotten away with it so i will not uh anyway gary says quote Our performance from last week was a step up. To come away from home to take control of good periods in the game, certainly first half by far thought we were the better team. Gary continues, should have gone in front. However, there will still be plenty of opportunities and situations I am sure they, Real Salt Lake, will look at and say, actually, we missed a couple as well. So look, all in all, Gary concludes, the game looked like it was going to be a draw. It should have been a draw, given the chances that occurred either way. And they, Salt Lake, managed to squeeze out a win. End quote. Tim, fair comments from the gaffer.
1: If, if anything, it, it will probably come as no surprise what I'm <laughs> about to say, given what we've already discussed so far. But I think he's softballing because he he knows that people lose their minds if he doesn't trash his team after a loss. This was not just the most dominant XG performance of the year for a road team; it was that by a wide margin. It was the third most dominant for any team so far this season. Nashville SC had a plus 2.19 goal differential or expected goals differential, which uh, according to American soccer analysis, only a couple games have been more, more dominant than that. And both of those were more dominant in favor of the home team. So that's something that um, he, again, he, the game state does go into that factor, but I think his comments probably indicate, you know, Hey, I'm not going to come out here and say we should have won because that would make people really angry, but it would be a fair way to, to interpret even even not just the stats, even watching the game, seeing Dan Lovitz hit the post, um, you know, seeing Dan Lovitz have another great opportunity to get saved by McMath, who is just ridiculous so far this year. It yeah, he really good. is. It really is. But um, I think the way the game the way the game played out, it it stinks to lose, but I think his comments that that this was closer than it, it, it's gonna go down as is it's absolutely fair, if not even a little bit on the pessimistic side from the gaffer.
0: We'll stay on the subject of Gary Smith. What'd you think of his tactical plan? Three in the back for the first time this year, which was the look that Nashville'd been working on all preseason.
1: It was it was fine. Um, clearly, it led to a strong performance, but I honestly thought that was a little bit more about the guys doing their job more than anything tactical. I just mentioned Dan Lovitz. I think getting him into space was productive consistently. It is one of the reasons that Nashville went with this, this shape for the first time um, on, a, on a minute-to-minute basis. They've, they've used a little bit of it uh, to, to ill effect against Dallas as well. But um, if anything, trying it with a striker who's going to be a little bit more goal dangerous. They did not get a ton of production out of the forwards, as we will talk about in a moment. And you also want a striker who might not um, be responsible for both opposing goals. Um, but yeah, I think I think this this formation with with your best available personnel, which is not what we saw on Saturday evening, is something that could be pretty productive for National SC.
0: There was a dark moment at the end that we have to talk about, and that's the red card by Dax McCarty. Uh, he took full accountability in a video he posted on Twitter Sunday. Remember the I'm jacket he was wearing in the video?
1: I really liked it.
0: That's really not what I took away from the video. I was more focused on Yeah, words, well, so Before I hit
1: play, I was like, man, that's a nice little jacket.
0: I like that. I don't know, Tim. It was good. You should check it out. We'll have our fashion segment in Outside <laughs> In. <laughs> uh, it was a it was an ugly moment from dax and and I, I don't know that there's much more we can add about the incident itself it was a dumb mistake by a guy who knows better and has done better for his entire career one that, that i will trust dax when he said it was it was made without violent intent i don't think dax is going around trying to just kick people in the ribs to kick him in the ribs and hurt him um what happened essentially was Bodie Davis, young rookie, making his first ever MLS appearance, by the way. I have a heck of a story, to, uh, a story to tell. He fell down. The ball was kind of in his torso. The whistle did not go initially. The flag did not go initially, according to Dax. I didn't see either or hear, hear, hear mm-hmm. them. Uh, and Dax back heeled toward the ball, but, again, the ball's in the torso of Bodie Davis. A reckless play. And he even said in the video, I'm not sure what I was trying to accomplish on that. I will trust him again and believe him wholeheartedly when he says he's not trying to accomplish an injury from Bodie Davis. He stepped up, took accountability, said whatever punishment he's levied by the league in addition to the red card, he will accept. Uh, Uncharacteristic act, I think we'll both agree. I'm not going to sit here and bash him for it. I admire that he stood up and took accountability. My question to kind of advance that conversation is, do you think that is pointing to when your captain does something like that, it's about a character. Is it pointing to larger frustration that's felt by the team right now? Or was it just a thing that was happening in the moment? And I'm reading too much into that.
1: Who's clearly frustrated in the moment, both with how the game was going and with how, uh, as, as if we're taking him at his word, which I think we should. And, and based on what we saw watching the game i think it is an accurate description um it looked like davis uh was going to get away with kind of treating the end of the game like an american football fumble drill uh that is not uh, a grave enough offense to get kicked in the ribs um dax Dax, he was going for the ball but he was not uh he was not upset that he caught a little bit of the man either at the moment until he saw red there uh in a more literal sense than in the figurative sense that led to it happening but in terms of the, the overall frustration, I, I wouldn't read too much into like a team psyche issue. Um, they're well aware that the four games do not tell the story of the season, and certainly not a four-game sample size that hasn't gone that poorly. It really was kind of that heat-of-the-moment sort of thing that I think Dax talked it up to. and He didn't use that as an excuse. He used it as an explanation, no. which is something that he was very clear to point out at the beginning um, with the jacket. And I was like, oh, yeah, the jacket and the explanation. Okay. <laughs>
0: I just listened to the explanation personally, but again, I'll go back and look for the jacket. I suppose maybe I'll try to buy a nice jacket, wear it on the walk to ML Rose from the stadium. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I mean, I, I'm glad he took accountability. I, and we even talked, you know, off air right after it happened and the final whistle blew. Not long after we said, guarantee you, he's going to have some sort of statement of apology out within 24 hours. And he did. Um, and it was the right thing to do and we'll move on. And, and, uh, it was not nearly as as enjoyable as his previous red card for Nashville SC <laughs> first in his career, going after Maxi Morales in a lightweight maybe featherweight Be- being player. gone after by yeah. <laughs> yeah. by various NYCFC players. Yeah, no, that part wasn't quite so enjoyable. Um, all right, get to, let's go get, get to our gold nuggets. You know, we're all about context here, and we always want to put Nashville SC's positive and negative results in their proper place. Uh, so to do that this time, I thought we'd go back. And look at Nashville's first four road matches last year, and compare them to how they performed this year. And yes, let's give the qualifier right away. There are so many different variables that mean that you can't just make a direct comparison and say better, worse, about the same. You know, Nashville had four matches in its first fourteen total matches away from home last last year. So they had you know four straight home matches to start of the season. They had a the chance to really establish that identity. Whereas this year, of course, they're starting on the road with eight straight. Plenty of qualifiers. That said, let's get into it. And the first comparison we'll make is results. Four matches, four points for Nashville SE this year. Last year, in their first four matches, they just earned three points, and three of those games were against eventual playoff teams. One big difference, again, as we mentioned, those four road matches were spread over the course of Nashville's first 14. So, Tim, this just reeks of a small sample size. We know that, of course. We're the um, small
1: sample size podcast, though.
0: That's, the yep, Triple S. That's us. <laughs> Uh, The team had a chance last year, though, to establish that sense of identity before they headed out on the road. They're going to have to establish it away from home this year. Um, And so far, so okay. Uh, The Seattle win, putting this year on top of last when it comes to those total points earned. The
1: fact that Seattle isn't very good yet uh, kind of colors it a little bit. But RSL, Dallas, and Minnesota, in about that order are overachieving what anybody expected in the preseason. RSL is looking like one of the best teams in the West so far. Dallas is looking like a playoff team for the first time, basically since anybody can remember. And Minnesota looks like they're going to tread water with where they were last year, which I think is, is, is what people maybe thought would be a kind of on the upper end of their expectations. It's really early, so we don't know how good they're going to end up being. But at this stage, yeah, the, the, the number of points next to your name and knowing that you have four tough road games under your belt, it's totally fine.
0: In terms of the attack, in that set of four road matches last year, Nashville scored just two goals with an XG total over those four matches, expected goals of 3.5. So they underperformed their XG, but their XG still wasn't stout. Uh, Both of those goals came in the comeback draw in Atlanta. They were shut out in three of those Four matches. Uh, of course, they have three goals so far this season on the road. They're XG 4.3, so output and projected output just a little bit better, but perhaps not outside the standard deviation again after only four matches. Not statistically significant, I think we can say. So let's get qualitative then, Tim. Do you think that Nashville's road attack is better via the eye test or whatever else that you're analyzing at this stage than it was last year? We haven't seen enough
1: yet. The the Dallas game was one of the most offensively inept of NSC's brief time in MLS to date. Uh, The RSL game was one of the best road performances offensively that we've seen. And even though it didn't really get rewarded, I think it's kind of made up for by the fact that the Seattle win was kind of the opposite. It was a mediocre offensive game where they did get the goal that really mattered in the end. So feelings ball-wise, it's probably close to where it was in the middle stretch of last season. Very good. But before Hani Mukhtar took off to to close the end, to close the season on a tear Um, when this, when this club was putting up, you know, above average offensive performances, I think you're right about in that range. And it's just a matter of keeping it consistent and continuing to repeat it. When the, when the competition continues to be away from home, away from home, away from home, and kind of making sure that you don't get that fatigue, that you don't get that, um, you know, even maybe a, a mental, block of being like oh gosh this is this has gotten too hard to never play at home we'll see what happens there
0: i liked what cj sapong said this past week heading into rsl and the presser and you may have even been one last to ask him the question about you know the challenge of starting away from home we know him to be one of the deeper thinkers in major league soccer and an extremely intelligent guy and he said you know i look forward to the story of this team battling back once we're back at home and using the eight matches away from home to make us that much stronger when we're at home. And I think what I've seen from the attack so far is not maybe necessarily, you know, loads better than it was this time last year. What I have seen is enough signs, enough roots of of productivity here to think that when this team does get back home, they have the possibility to explode, especially in that new environment where fans are going to be right on top of them, rooting them on. Uh, defensive... Yeah, dude, it's
1: like, the, it's the hero's journey. You, you leave home to, to face your adversity, and then when you come back home, you... You know the hero's journey. It's I like do, the, of the Classic. Yeah. I was about to go Odysseus on telling. you. And... Yeah, there you go. There you got it. You got it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, ninth grade was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> of course, there are plenty of other, op- you know, you know, examples of this. Like every story ever written, Lion King, for instance, another another great hero's journey story written for the modern age. Uh, I dumbed it down. I dumbed Pl- it down. Plagiarized,
1: right plagiarized from was that? Hamlet for the modern age.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, very much. Or the so. other yep. one. Yeah, it's uh, Defensively getting back from literature to an area where at least I'm a little bit uh, better versed Uh, 4.5 XG uh, and five goals conceded uh, so far this year uh, for Nashville SC last year, they'd conceded four goals in those first four on the road, 3.7 XG a little tighter, um, but again, not statistically significant to compare the two necessarily. So we'll get qualitative again, I guess. Uh, Is it fair to say things have been just a bit more open on the road on both ends so far this year? I, I say open, Nashville's attack was not open in Dallas, but beyond that, that one game.
1: Yeah, we still don't know yet. Um, Seattle got basically nothing. And I talked about game state earlier, so we'll, we'll bring it up now. Minnesota and RSL both scored on set pieces. RSL, um, you know, used that to kind of get what little they got in the early stages of the game and then dallas obviously got a penalty kick and then another goal that wouldn't have happened if not for nsc chasing after that penalty kick so and even game state nashville sc's defending has basically been elite in the run of play the problem is they've let opponents change the game state from dead balls and that's something that obviously they did last year as well and um, it's it's, it's, such a, it's such a you don't know if it's going to stop until it just does. There's not going to be like incremental improvement on set pieces until, until they, they finally stop doing it. It's a very discreet thing, but it has to happen if this Nashville SC team is going to turn around some of these results.
0: Let's turn our attention to the mailbag. And before we get to your questions, we have a sponsored mailbag question. We didn't actually sponsor the question. We didn't pay Finn for this question. Maybe we should. Maybe I should buy him a beer. <laughs> this is a great World question. <laughs> uh, Finn asks if, as a part of our sponsorship agreement with ML Rose, we got to propose an NSC or club and country-themed menu item or cocktail, what would it be? His example is great, by the way, and I wish I thought of it. The Morgan Rita, which is a traditional margarita, but with only domestic ingredients. Also, you like, it, really, I like it. you don't really know how much you're... Paying for it, it's kind of an uncertain scale that fluctuates a lot, and <laughs> new new diners get more of it. That that's my editorialization. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the cocktail. This is what I've thought about a lot, actually, uh, because I think this should happen. And if Braden Gall is listening, I want <laughs> you to it, respond right for- now. Send it to the text group and uh, let us know if this can happen. The club and country, quite simply, it's a cocktail with club soda, but just a little bit Tennessee whiskey, a lot. That's the country, right? Tennessee whiskey comes from you know middle of nowhere Tennessee, and then you add a splash of C J and a dollop of honey. That's citrus. What juice. are those? Sir? Citrus juice and honey. Okay. C J okay. and honey, or honey muktar, I guess you could you could call it if you wanted to. Not honey mustard though. That that wouldn't go so well. <laughs> so again, the club and country cocktail. I'm saying this again so that the folks at ML Rose. And the folks at 440 Sports, namely Mr. Brayden Gall, can hear it. Club soda, Tennessee whiskey, a splash of citrus juice, probably lemon juice, I would guess, and a dollop of honey. It'd be really good. Like almost a mix between like an old-fashioned Manhattan. Like, you know, kind of sweet, kind of got a little, a little citrus, uh, like a little acid to it. That's That's my proposal. What do you think? Would you try that?
1: I would try that it
0: actually sounds pretty
1: good it's uh it's very similar to a uh a gold rush i think is the one which is which would be perfect actually gold oh my god right in there it's all I mean, coming it's, together think of that it's all coming which has, together which is whiskey and honey but um mine uh which i didn't put in the rundown so i'm very nervous that i'm gonna mess it up but the dp designated paloma which if you don't know what a paloma is <laughs> oh, it's a tequila tequila and grapefruit uh cocktail it is uh, anybody who knows me knows that <laughs> that is probably not my style of cocktail, but I had to think of a roster budget themed pun. And
0: that's the one I came up <laughs> with the designated Paloma. I like it. And sometimes it tastes sweet to you. And sometimes it ends in bitter disappointment when you pay, <laughs> you know, a little, little more than you want to pay for it. And it doesn't always produce like you want it to The produce for your taste buds. So I'm losing, I'm losing the metaphor a little bit here. We're losing it. Uh, anyway. It happens to the best of us. I will say this. While we wait for those cocktails to get on the menu at M.L. Rose, which we highly expect to happen now, Braden intent, uh, there's <laughs> still a lot there that you will enjoy if you go to M.L. Rose. Don't wait for the cocktails to get on the menu. Uh, go check out the beer list. I've actually I don't know if I've ever had a cocktail at, at M.L. Rose. I think I usually go for the beer because there's such a great craft beer list, but um, I'll tell you, I, I love a good local restaurant where I can go and learn about a new brewery that's local or, or a beer I've not had, and that's hard to, to do because I'm pretty up on that. But there have been a couple lately, or either a couple, you know, beers or a couple breweries that I've discovered just by looking at the board, up at the the large draft board, very creatively drawn up at uh, at ML Rose and, and the bartenders are great to talk you through it. You know, hey, this one's really popular. This one's actually not one of our one of our best sellers. People don't usually order a second or a third. They're honest with you, they're real, and that's what I appreciate. An honest bartenders, not always just trying to upsell you, it's gonna tell you what what they like, what's good, give you a taste of it maybe. And uh, they have not steered me wrong yet, Tim.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i also, it will surprise nobody who knows us, that I'm, a, I'm more of a beer guy than a, than a cocktail guy for the most part. And uh, yeah, that's that's been one of the things that I like the most about ML Rose is that uh, there is something of basically any style you could possibly want, you will be able to find something there. Any local brewery you could possibly want, you will probably be able to find something on draft at ML Rose at any of their locations, frankly. So that's something that that um you know if you're if you're somebody who likes to go put back a couple beers it's a perfect place to go and of course i finally uh, enlightened west to the carolina suites as well so it's, it's everything's coming up ml rose
0: all right we're doing this right before dinner time and i'm about to have to go <laughs> back to ml rose thank you that'd be two times in four days and like three times in the past week i don't care man it's so good it's so good <laughs> great burgers great beer uh, it's convenient and we're not just going to pitch a sponsor to you that we're not willing to try ourselves. In this case, we know this place well. and We're diners well before they ever decided to sponsor Club and Country and, and give us our two cocktails that we just suggested, of course. Um, ML Rose, try the 8th Avenue location. Drive over to the stadium. Do your pre-game practice, pre, pre-home pre game practice, and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, all right, into the mailbag now. Uh, some some good penetrating questions kind of on every front here as we as we look to Uh, to understand what's happening with Nashville SC. And we'll start again with set pieces. Chris Hole, a friend of the program, asks, do you agree that NSC's attack has been incorrectly blamed for the loss in Salt Lake because there were so many chances that needed just an inch or two of finishing? That is very frustrating, but he says the real culprit was the two soft goals the team let in. Yeah. Do
1: I even need to be on this podcast? Chris can come be the co-host. He's got it. He's got it
0: nailed. He's got it nailed. I've been telling you that forever. (laughs) Glad you're finally (laughs) listening. Uh, yeah, I think the underlying numbers tell us this is right. Again, Tim already talked about that uh, XG differential. It's going to vary based on the stat service you use. The one I saw was two point six XG for Nashville, zero point nine for RSL. So, regardless of game state, if you post your second best road XG in club history, and Tim already mentioned the other, you know, comparative metrics there. The you said the the best xg by a road team in major league soccer this season so
1: far yeah through four through four weeks best differential because rsl produced very little as well their their goals were from low xg opportunities
0: yes if you do that you're playing well enough to earn that result the numbers tell us that and so does the mcmath hey there you go sometimes you just run into a hot keeper and six saves did the trick and and some of those were near misses some of those uh, were just good saves. Like Hani Mugtar mm-hmm. in on goal. I mean, Math sticks out his left arm. I don't know how much he knew about that, but he palmed it away. I mean, mm. He had a very impressive night. And yes, I think the story is Nashville's defensive um, lapses in those moments and not uh, much to do with the attack. Uh, Jay Robinson says there were more shots from defenders than attackers, so to me the attack should still hold some blame to, due to their lack of chances. Hani had six of those eight shots too, so the rest of the attack deserves any blame it's getting right now, he says. And, and by the way, just to uh, my stats are saying eight and eight, or it's even defenders versus attackers, but that doesn't impact the point that chase making here. Um, I'll say yeah, that. Of first... him, one
1: of them has attack, right, in the name, and the other one doesn't, so, so his point remains the same. They should probably be biased in that direction, and they, they were not.
0: They were not. That's, yeah, exactly. And the attack's, I'll, I'll I'll say this, the attack's job, I think, is to get it to Honey. So six shots from Hani is a sign the attack is working just fine. I, I'm not worried about that about him having a large proportion of of the shots i know you want to see randall firing you know as well and you want to see a striker that's involved but ultimately if they're working at the honey i'm not going to be too mad at that and also i'll say dan lovitz was intended to play a role in the attack from his left Mm -hmm. wing back spot you can call him a defender if you want technically if you had to put him in a position that's what he is but he was more like an aggressive wing back he got forward a lot so i i I count him almost as a piece of the attack rather Mm -hmm. than as a defender here uh, yes, you want your striker's shot tally to be up there. Teal Bunbury has rightfully earned the respect of this technical staff, but he would probably tell you this wasn't his sharpest outing. We can tell you that, too. He didn't have his best night. But I I don't think that Jay's points, to me, point to trouble on the part of the attack. I think, if anything, it supports how important Hani Buktar is to this team and how valuable it was that he was able to get things going.
1: And how effective Nashville
0: SC's formation change was too, because the reason that you go to five in
1: the back, at least in the in the way that Nashville played it on Saturday evening, is to allow those those guys who had been fullbacks to become wingbacks and basically be attackers rather than defenders, or at the very least become true two-way players. That's something that you want to do. That's why you go to that formation. So Daniel Lovitz's productivity was was by design. Um, obviously, some of Walker Zimmerman's shots came after he played striker to close out the game. I, I believe after Dax got sent off, he pretty much immediately went up and started playing striker, if I recall correctly. So that's something that uh, changes changes the things changes things a little bit. He wasn't really a defender, even though he is obviously that by trade. So Nashville got what they wanted out of out of the formation. They got what they wanted out of the personnel. Other than that that situation where Bunbury when he was drawn into defensive roles, including on the set piece, wasn't quite as sharp as you would expect. And he, he didn't make up for it on the attacking end either.
0: Let's keep chatting about that attack and defense paradigm. Robbie aces uh, comments on some quotes that were given by Daniel Rios in a media appearance here recently. And I'm sorry, I don't, I do not remember what outlet they were published in, or I would give credit here. Uh, I did see I think the MLS soccer. It was, MLSsoccer.com. was it MLS soccer.com. Okay, there you go. Um, Daniel Rios gave an interview to MLSsoccer.com, my sources tell me, and he said the following, and then I'll ask Robbie's question. He said, technical-wise, there's a very distinct difference between Nashville SC and Charlotte. Of course, Rios traded to Charlotte here recently. In Nashville, he says, it was all about defending, defending. This included the two or three strikers being another part of the defense, and if that allowed us to do a goal, we would win 1-0, but they wouldn't do any goals on us, which was the main priority. And Robbie asks from that comment, and a lot of people have been talking about these comments here in the past few days. After those comments, do you think there's frustration among the players with Gary's defense first approach? And is that maybe why Loba isn't playing? He doesn't give the effort to track back for defense. Uh, So to the second part of that question, yeah, I think that, that, you know, I'm not saying Loba doesn't track back. I am saying that when a striker in Gary System's Gary Smith's system is not playing, it is often because those strikers are asked to be more complete players than just one-way attackers, and that does take more acclimation.
1: And I, I want to be I want to be a little bit even more, um, you know, dig into it a little more uh, minutely too. And some of the some of what allows an attacker to be a good defensive attacker is retaining the ball, and that's what Loba has not done enough to keep Gary happy he's a risk taker and you, there's, there is a time and a place for being a risk taker, but even in possession, um, we saw it in the Dallas game, the giveaway that ultimately led to Dallas's second goal. But, um, you have to be foundational on the ball. And that's something that obviously like, you know, Pep Guardiola's man city, they defend by just having the ball the whole time. And that's something that, um, obviously Gary Smith's teams are not going to be, be huge possession oriented teams in that same way, but, he does want them to, to play that sort of role in helping the defense out, too.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll go on a miniature rant here, not toward Rob... Oh, Wes rants, let's go. Let's, I'm not going to get too, too up in arms here. And, and this is not a rant toward Robbie, by the way. This is a rant toward the whole narrative that Rios is somehow saying that because attackers are asked to be part of the defensive game plan that they're not able to focus on attack and not able to be positive, too. I don't think that's what Rios is saying here. I don't think he's saying the strikers weren't allowed to do their jobs. I think he's saying the strikers are... Part of the overall team plan. And they're not just on an attacking island with no defensive responsibility. And with that in mind, number one, that's how team soccer should work. I don't care what your managerial philosophy is. You need strikers who are willing to track back and get involved in things. And if you do that, you actually have a more productive counterattack in many ways because you have more pieces in midfield to build up into that final third. Number two, it's working. What Nashville's doing is working. I think we can see that historically, um, but I think we can also see comparing it to Charlotte's approach. They've conceded nearly double the goals Nashville has because perhaps those strikers are not involved in defense. I know chemistry is an issue there too, so let's go back to Nashville's first four matches as an expansion club. Charlotte has allowed three times the number of goals in their first four as Nashville did in its first four back in 2020, and and it has worked for two-plus seasons of the best defensive start for an expansion club in MLS history. And that's resulted in points. And generally speaking, results make players happy. So to Robbie's very fair question, does this uh, indicate frustration from the players? No, I don't think it does. I think two things can be true here. I think Rios can feel liberated to attack and like the system he is in. Without the current players necessarily fearing, feeling irritated, they're also asked to play a role in the defensive game plan. And by and large, you've seen this club bring in players who fit that plan pretty well. Rios fit that plan pretty well. He was a good hold-up player. He could get back yeah. and, and play some solid defense as well. So I don't know if that qualifies as a rant, but I, I definitely have a little bit of frustration at the view that some have taken. Again, not, not Robbie speaking here just to you, or really to you at all, but that that this meant that Nashville's defense, 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 and the attackers don't get to attack. What it means is the attackers have to be all-around players. And that's the case not just in Nashville, but should be the case in most systems. And so I'll close with Logan Elliott, who said it more eloquently and concisely than I, as always. Logan says, I feel like a lot of NSC fans took Rios' comments, Ari Gary's obsession with defending, as a sort of smoking gun as to what is wrong with his approach to the game. I saw... The lack of defensive concentration from Teal last night as Gary being proven right. I With all respect to Teal, he would tell you too. He had those couple lapses. Logan, right on. Well done.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to note that there's, there's not a criticism in what Rios is saying. He's saying, here are the stylistic differences between what I do here versus what I did when I was at Nashville. It doesn't s- strike me as... Uh, I guess no pun intended, it doesn't strike me as a criticism of Gary Smith's style or the style that he had been playing just an observation that they're different. And I think it's important to note that in another quote, I, I think it was even from the same press conference. Rio said I will do anything to help the team win games and earn points I'm here to help the team in any form so if Miguel, I'm referring to their head coach obviously thinks he needs me in the starting 11 or off the bench I'll be ready. I want to score goals. That's what I want. I really want to score goals, but I want to help the team in any way I'm able. I'm the type of player that if I have to do defensive duties, I will do it. So that's, I mean, if, if you, if you appropriately contextualize what he's saying, it's, it's kind of a, you know, just a, a almost bland observation about the differences between <laughs> two teams and not yeah. saying that one is necessarily better than the other. And, and knowing Daniel as you and I both do, it's, I think it's probably the fairest way to, to approach what his comments were anyway. I don't know. I can't believe you went in on Rob like that. Jeez. didn't go in in on Rob, but Rob knows that.
0: Rob (laughs) Rob and I are both having a hard time after our balls and his wildcats were were eliminated. So we're we're both blowing off a little steam. Mine's not directed toward you, Robbie. You know that. Um, And yeah, if, if you're wanting a hot take artist, Maybe don't go to Daniel Rios for sure. He is not the <laughs> yeah, type to yeah. bring the fire. He will bring insight, but he is always going to be yeah. gracious and not not looking to flame anybody. Completely agreed. Had genuine affection for this this coaching staff and they for him as well. Uh, moving on to David, are RSL FC Dallas and Minnesota's table positions softening the worries about those results? Are they legit? And will Sporting Kansas City, San Jose, and LA Galaxy still be mid-to-bottom table when we square up? Uh, Tim, just a, a stat, then I'll feed to your opinion here. The teams that earn results against NSC are now combined 5, 1, and 3 in matches not against Nashville. So it's 8 results in 9 matches.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said it better than than David did right there. And I I tried to in Golden Nuggets and, <laughs> and ended up being one up by David uh, just a little bit later. It's too early in the year to know how good any individual team is really going to end up being. Um, like I said before, these could be th- three, four really bad teams. We don't know it yet. They could be three, four really good teams. We don't know it yet. But for now, it looks like Nashville is going toe to toe with some really strong teams and holding its own on the road. Obviously, Disappointing results in two of those games, probably disappointing results in three of those games. If you look at how the Minnesota result came about Mm -hmm. um, kind of the order of operations there, but in the big picture, these look like strong teams when they're playing anyone other than Nashville. And if that continues, Nashville is going to have some of its toughest games already under its belt with a pretty good point tally at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Two nothing loss to Dallas where Nashville arguably shouldn't have conceded (laughs) (laughs) penalty was, was soft. Uh, And then, Portland goes to Dallas the next week, and Dallas wins 4-1 in that same place against a good Portland team. I think that, to me, especially hammered home. Jesus Ferreira with a hat trick in 37 minutes, by the way. Hammered home that this has been tougher competition than I think we anticipated Nashville to to face so far this year. And the toughest game, looking at it, was the one Nashville won in Seattle. Uh, Sarah Doxical, good to hear from you again, Sarah. What changes do we see to the roster after the international break? Dax is going to be out because of the red card and maybe because of a suspension after that. Do we switch things up to rest Zimmerman or Godoy after they return from their international duty, Tim?
1: I've been beating the drum uh, in my game previews for two straight games, and and Gary Smith has not heeded my advice, and it's it's turned out disastrously for him. Uh, It it does seem like um, a 4-2-3-1 for this team, which is what they've based out of for the, the plurality, if not majority, of their games as a professional side. It seems like it would be a good way to accommodate some of those personnel losses in terms of McCarty maybe some tired guys in terms of Walker and Godoy. Um, and it prevents a thin midfield from getting worn out. There are good players in this midfield. There are a couple really, really good players in this midfield. But if you play three of them in every game, it's going to be a problem as, as the year goes on. And it provides more natural spots for Ake Loba and Alex Muil to see game time without maybe playing a position that is, is not quite natural for them. And I think mm-hmm. that doing that, even if it's just a temporary switch to to kind of weather the storm of some of the, the current personnel um, things that are coming to a head, it would make some sense.
0: I would like to see that. I think that could work well. If you wanted to go a little more conservatively and stick with the 3 three, four, three that Nashville uh, worked on throughout preseason and, and played in their last match. Um, and you're you know counting out Zerman, McCarty and Godoy just for the next match, at least uh, Willis and goal. Of course you could do Romney and Miller on, on each side of the center back uh, equation with Mayer in the middle between them, the three man back line. Lovitz on the left side and wheel at right wing back. Um, Sean Davis is going to be a part of, I think I think we, we will see that he'll be a part of any lineup this year. That's my prediction. I mean, I'll guys have to rotate, but he played every minute last year. I could see him doing that this year now. And then Brian Anunga would be your other central mid there. Uh, coming in, he's only played limited sub-duty, but we know he can start matches in a pinch and, mm-hmm. and do just fine, especially in a defensive-oriented match. And then Layal Mukhtar, Sapong up top. I think that could be the way that Nashville would go in a more conservative setting where the and wheel could sit back if they needed to, but would still generate the attack and really rely on Davis and Anunga for that defensive backbone and still let your attackers do their thing. Uh, either one of those, I think, could work pretty well. Uh, John Mueller with the weekly Ake Loba question, along with Stashville. Mueller, what will it actually take for Loba to start alongside Honey and Randall? Stashville, Ake Loba, am I right? And
1: yeah, We saw the guy who who tends to play over him. Um, thanks to a steady veteran presence, not really show the advantages of his experience on Saturday night in Salt Lake City. Um, if if Tun- Teal Bunbury finds his way to the bench because of that, um, you know, if you if you put a guy in because he's the better defensive forward and he is responsible for two defensive lapses, it's time. Maybe it is time to give another guy a chance. I think Ake, seeing Ake Loba not play over. Honey, Randall, CJ is one thing. Seeing Bunbury come in and not have a, a very sharp game, and saying, "Okay, now we've got this guy on the bench. It's time for him to to get maybe more of those minutes than he would have been getting before." I think that's when you really start to see Loba increase his his uh, appearances for this team.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to take consistency from Loba, uh, some of which we have the opportunity to to witness when he comes in later in matches. So, which you know, we, we're not at every training. But he needs to show in training as well, and uh, you know rotation I think is going to be a, a factor for him as well. Guys need rest in a favorable environment. I could very well see this team coming home and trotting out a four-two-three-one, where you maybe put Loba on a wing and play with Hani and Randall in attacking midfield, but almost kind of as a second striker with CJ Sapong up top. I, I don't know that that is something that they employ. I think that is a favorable spot for him to be when Nashville wants to be aggressive and take the match to opponents at home. That could be a whole lot of fun. I still don't see Loba necessarily as a number nine up top in place of CJ Sabong at this point. I I just don't know that I see that right now, but he'll have the opportunity to earn that uh, and earn that chance at some point. I would, I would hope. And I would think, I I think there's a a chance like Abu Danmati
1: is like a smaller, faster guy. Yeah. both smaller and faster than Lobo probably and, and kind of played that role. I know there's been, there's been talk Matt Doyle has mentioned it on a couple of recent extra times that Lobo just isn't the type of striker that Gary Smith is really going to trust. And, and having seen Abu Ladi play up top for this <laughs> club in the past kind of makes me think that there's basically a, no type of striker other than dude who doesn't score goals that Gary
0: Smith is, is going to completely overlook. That's very reasonable. I do think Dunlady's best role for this team might be Loba's, which was in a wing spot that kind of became a second striker. And you allow them to to play the home run balls down the pitch, but you also have your target striker in there too. Mm -hmm. I would be very interested to see that, and I hope Ake gets the extended opportunity to prove himself there. I'm going to read the longest hyphenated (laughs) word I've ever read from Stashville. Was this weekend the merciful end of the great? Takes deep breath. Play 3D mids and clog up the middle but never actually generate any shots on target and hope we randomly find a goal somewhere and don't have a defensive lapse. Experiment. That was like the fine print in a in a yeah. bad...
1: The, the fact, the fact bad. that Hope did a line wrap and you still just nailed it because the word's so long here, that's, that's a pro right there. You're a pro. I can,
0: I, can, I can talk fast with the best of them. I'm not sure <laughs> what other skills I have. Certainly not golf I found out yesterday, <laughs> by the way. Um... But uh, was this week at the end of that experiment? No. Yeah, no. I
1: mean, you uh, you you gave a little preview of what I'm going to say here earlier in the show, or, or a tease for it. Is shots on target? Is just it doesn't doesn't mean much to me, honestly. It's it's not a good way to look at offensive production. It's certainly not a good way to look at whether or not a tactical approach is working. I think shots and expected goals are more meaningful in terms of we are putting players in positions to succeed. An individual failure to put a shot on target doesn't really mean anything in terms of what the tactical approach is doing. It's an individual moment. So we'll see if if there are three central midfielders in, in upcoming um, games. and We'll see if there are just two central midfielders in upcoming games, but I don't think looking at shots on target is something that's particularly meaningful when you look at how effective it is.
0: Yeah. And I would go so far as to say, it's not necessarily an experiment. I don't know that it ends up being the primary way this team plays, but I think when you have three players who are as capable, experienced and stable in in the middle as Dax, Sean on a ball, it's always going to be an appealing option for you when you need to be tough. And, you know, again, I, I would quibble as you do, Tim, with, with the never generating any shots on target or really any kind of attack, it's randomly finding a goal somewhere. Um, I think it's providing the solidity in the backbone that you can start to control games. And uh, I think Nashville has played more confidently in that look than a lot of people might've expected them to play early in the season on the road. And And, I'm okay with it.
1: And well, let me, let me like further clarify. I don't really care for the three central midfielder formations that we've seen a couple of times. Obviously there's been a little bit more nuance to it that has made it a little bit more fun to watch, but regardless of whether or not you like it, just the shots on target doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you get, if you get 40 shots and only two of them are on target, it doesn't, it's no different than, you know, getting three shots and two of them are on target. Mm, I think it is.
0: If you take 40 shots and only two of them are on target, you might be LAFC. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to read this last question?
1: Yeah. Uh, Our good friend, Brian Cordova asks, are Michigan men's basketball's late season success and UT men's basketball's collapse causing a rift in the studio? Uh, are either of these events related to NSC's recent skid? If so, is it too early to call this unholy union between the Big Ten and SEC a curse? Um, he's, this is this is Brian talking, not me. This is all an unfunny joke, to which I think we can both agree, at least. Yes. Now, now, to, now to the substantive questions that he asked. Uh, yes, major rift in the studio. Wes and I had a fistfight before we recorded today. It yeah. brings me no pleasure to report. Uh, Wes won. Um, so
0: at least I won something
1: this weekend. <laughs> I had to give you a little consolation prize.
0: <laughs> you gave, you gave I thought I I thought I took you down, man. You can give me anything. <laughs> you know, I, I think that that fans of Michigan and Tennessee. I don't want to speak for you here. I'll definitely speak for No, me, they're, they're, yeah, I think I know we, where you're going with this. We have right. we yeah. have an at this point an undeserved sense of entitlement that has been um, completely stabbed in the face so many times by reality that I think we've learned not to hope anymore. Um, that's that's at least my, my take on that. <laughs> so when Tennessee played Michigan, I thought, of course, this is going to go terribly for me. Um, personally, on this podcast, but also for my team. And it did. So the world is a dark place. And wearing <laughs> orange does not somehow make it brighter.
1: Uh, we do need to give a real quick shout-out to Brian Seton Hall, which... Uh, like your Tennessee Volunteers fell in the round of 32 uh, to TCU, um, so it is also important to note that Seton Hall did get the best of Michigan in the regular season this year. So, so they got that, but uh, gosh, Michigan's in the Sweet 16. Y'all, y'all aren't are nowhere to be found around here.
0: <laughs> did you hear about the documentary made about the Seton Hall Pirates basketball team? No, you might not have seen it because it was rated R.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh, God, do I, do I do I play the unwitting straight man here? Or do I just The look on
0: your him? face was just as fearful as when I stepped up and cold-cocked you earlier. <laughs> oh, boy, let's move outside in. See, you just deal with gallows humor. When you're a Tennessee fan, it's all about the gallows humor. Um, <laughs> let's head outside in. Landon goes for goal. Oh, it's there! Atlanta came from two down with a man down to tie Montreal at home, thanks to Bally Sports and Kevin Egan for the call, or Kevin Egan. He's Irish. I can't do the Irish accent. I tried, though. Uh, that was the hashtag MLS after dark even in the afternoon match of the week. Crazy win is, again, Montreal was up 3-1, went up man in the 67th minute. Dom Dwyer red card when Atlanta scored twice and equalize anyway um, other results. You were at Charlotte FC's first ever win against new England. More on that in a second. Dallas. I didn't even think over... about that. I was there for history. You were there for history for Nashville SC's yeah. first ever match for Charlotte's first ever win. You weren't in Dallas for Nashville's first ever win. I guess nobody really was um, at
1: yeah.
0: that yeah. point. Um, Dallas with a four, one win and the Jesus for a hat trick as Jesus um, just, you know, walking on that Frisco, Texas water. In Chicago, unbeaten, uh, SKC reeling, three-one fire in that one. The Charlotte game, though, pretty cool experience. You, you're telling me?
1: Yeah. So first the game. Um, this was this was much more a New England is bad right now than a Charlotte is good right now situation. Uh, New England was very very bad, um, but you know, first winning in club history. I don't think anybody's going to look for an asterisk in the record book. Uh, the experience in Charlotte. Uh, I was there for for the day job, and I was like, hey. Uh, my flight gets in like two hours before this game. Let's do it. Uh, It's awesome. It was so much fun. That is a really cool experience. It's a really cool area around bank of America stadium. Um, There's a lot going on. People in that city are very, very excited about Charlotte FC. As I probably have been on the podcast, I've been skeptical that there's a whole lot to their, to their buzz building in their city and all that. But I, I think I took a step towards, I guess I should say, it's like a step towards believing that there's some legitimacy to it. And it's something that um, for better or for worse has not always been the case in Nashville. And I really hope that people get really excited for this team, especially when they return home, especially when Geodas Park opens. It's something that they, the capturing of the of the zeitgeist of the city is much more difficult in a place like Nashville than it is like Charlotte, mm-hmm. but certainly among, among the hometown crowd, hopefully that they can, get some of that uh, sort of feeling where this is the biggest thing happening in town. This is what this town is all about. And we'll see that if that comes to fruition,
0: I'm really glad to hear that it was as good of an experience in person and outside the stadium as it appeared to be inside the stadium where they drew around what 30,000 fans again, Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty good Mm -hmm. crowd. Uh, Will Palaszczuk, the play-by-play broadcaster for um, for Charlotte, WFNZ, does a really good job. He and Jessica Sharman, we've been chatting a little bit. And, and uh, they have a good podcast, too, called Crown Corner, where they, they talk about what's happening there. And it's very clear. They're discussing a movement. And that's good, because I think if you build the culture away from the pitch in a sport like soccer, sometimes the on-pitch on culture will follow when when mm-hmm. players feel supported, when they want to come and, uh, and be a part of what's happening there. It takes some time, but boy, their first ever win, 3-1 so, over New England.
1: Sometimes think, people can be really excited in a city, and it can go horribly for three straight years, and then you have to hire Pat Noonan. And...
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you could have been talking about a couple different. <laughs> yeah, fair there. enough. I do not even know where fair you are going enough. at first. Fair enough. <laughs> they played each other, by the way, since he and Miami did, and since he won and won decisively. Uh, two straight wins for Cincinnati for the like second time in a year, I think. First time in a year. It's been a while.
1: They're not going to be good this year, but they're not going to be bad. And, that and is they're going to be step in the right direction. fun. It's a
0: huge step in the right direction. They're going to be fun. I'll give mm-hmm. them that. I mean, you go back to that 6-3 win that Nashville had in Cincinnati at TQL Stadium. They weren't good. But they were fun. Yeah. <laughs> I when, Since he's on, I watch. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, all right. Speaking of what we're all going to be watching this week, I actually have a work trip, so I'm going to have to sneak away, I think, and and watch these or maybe find some fellow soccer fans at my um at my Tire Council event. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> U.S. Men's National Team. It's Tire with a Y, left. right? Uh, it is Tire with a Y. Yeah. Why the Y? Because it stands for quality. Is that really what you guys said? No, it's not. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to test some things out somewhere. My boss wouldn't have been receptive to that. Neither were you, so we'll try it on him. Uh, next three games, the final three games of World Cup qualifying for the U.S. Men's National Team. At Mexico Thursday at the Azteca. Panama at home Sunday. Ana Bogadoy, Walker, Zimmerman, alert. Costa Rica on the road next Wednesday. What does Nashville... Nashville? Nope. What does the U.S. Men's National Team need to do? Play like Nashville, honestly. Uh, just get the results. Uh, they're four points above Panama for the fourth qualifying spot, which would force them into a playoff, probably with New Zealand. Five points above Costa Rica, which would, if they finish in fifth, they're out. Costa Rica's in fifth now. Uh, simply put what they need to do basically beat Panama. If they beat Panama at home, they're going to finish above Panama and they just need Costa Rica to drop two points out of a possible nine. the U S plays Costa Rica as well. If you draw against Panama, then Panama would need to better the U S by four points over those other two matches. So it, it it feels okay when you look at the math of it, but Tim, as always with this freaking national team, it's hardly that simple. (laughs) The U.S. has to go to the Azteca, and it has never won on Costa Rican soil. That is where it will close its qualifying efforts. I know there's a, there's a B-team movement to play Mexico with less than a
1: 100% group. Um, if you don't listen to the Scuffs podcast and you are interested in the U.S. men's national team, I would check that out. Um, I think Greg Velasquez is, is beating this drum harder than anyone. You want to save your best players for Panama because Panama is the most important game. Uh, I'm not a fan of that because no. it, it's not just because the U S and Mexico is an important rivalry to me. And it's not because I don't recognize that Panama is the most important game, but arrested a team is not a guarantee to beat Panama. So if you kind of sacrifice points earlier in the window in hopes of getting that, there's a risk that you don't get the results that yeah. you're looking for. And you threw away your opportunity to make up for it a little bit. So I don't like that galaxy Brand situation. But um, in the big picture, I do think Canada probably takes care of Costa Rica in the first game of the window. That basically eliminates Costa Rica. Um, certainly eliminates Costa Rica from catching up to the United States as long as they get a result against Mexico. So I think from that, basically any two USMNT results are fine. Obviously, the, one of them being a win over Panama would be basically an ender to it. So yeah. um, this isn't a historically good Costa Rica team by any stretch um, players have been basically openly in rebellion of their multiple head coaches over the past three years. Um, the luster of Estadio Saprissa gives away to a new national stadium paid for by the federal government of China. Uh, strange situation there, yeah. uh, it, it, but it doesn't have the same mojo as Estadio Saprissa either. Um, shout out to Randall, Leal, a, a famous um, member of the Monstruo Murado back in the day uh, and a maybe former member of the Costa Rica men's national team at this point too. Yeah. But um, I do think, um, you know, I think the main reason that he's not there is because of some of this stuff where where the players are not invested in in the in the national team right now because they don't believe in the the direction of the the past couple coaches, and I think that that's something that the United States is going to look at and not treat Costa Rica like a layup again. Like you mentioned, they've never won in Tico Land, but uh, I, I think I think if you're ever going to live the, the pura vida, this this is the year for sure.
0: Well, certainly hoping so. And uh, not to mention, though, it's, it's going to be a little harder because the U.S. is going to be without four cornerstone players. Weston McKinney, Matt Turner, Serginio Dest, Brendan Aronson all out. And, you know, we've talked at length about how deep this program is right now. That depth is going to be tested. It's time. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's insane. that I didn't even realize this. Brendan Aronson is the only player who's played in every single qualifier so far. Wow. Which is crazy. I did not realize. Like, most of that is sub time, but... Uh he's had a couple starts in there. It's, I was I was stunned to to read that stat and if it's wrong, sorry. It's close enough.
0: <laughs> but- All the hometown bias here, if Walker <laughs> yeah. had played in every match, the US would not be in a position where we're nervous right now.
1: Yeah, I mean we talked about this a few weeks ago or you know, the games that Miles uh, Robinson and Walker Zimmerman have played together. The US has only given up, I think, one goal or something like that. But alas, here we are. He didn't get to play in Nashville, and and maybe a goal that he could have helped prevent might be what is separating the U.S. from feeling super comfortable right now. So um, hopefully Weston McKinney, uh, especially Matt Turner, um, hopefully those guys aren't lost too much. Destin Aronson, love those guys, but they're more the attacking side of things, and that might not be the priority, at least in Mexico, probably not, against Panama and Orlando. So we'll
0: see. We're going to see some good Zimmerman time, I would suspect, over the next three matches. Uh, Going to the final whistle now, and as we update our 440 Sports Football League standings, let's compare them to what's happening in the Okta. I am in eighth place out of 56 teams, so I'm kind of where the U.S. is, kind of on the cusp of glory, but still got some work to do, thanks to employing Brandon Vasquez and Lucho Acosta again against Inter-Miami. Basically, not to give away all my secrets, but if they're playing against Cincinnati or against Miami... I will start them and probably captain them. And in this case Cincinnati playing against Miami it was like a, it was crazy. So
1: Yeah, you, what did you what did you even manage to do? I how did you how did you compensate for the fact that they were playing each other?
0: I just didn't play any Miami players. <laughs> that's, that's rule number two. <laughs> uh, you were kind of in a Costa Rica type of position back in 28th place, you know, kind of mid-table, mid, mid table. still have a chance, outside looking in, but it's it's early. Your captain, Joseph Martinez, got a goal for ATL against Montreal, so you're, you're treading it, water. You're doing okay. It
1: brings me no pleasure to report that I did not captain Joseph Martinez on purpose. I forgot to set my lineup, and I got uh, lucky out of it. <laughs>
0: I just hate this feeling of playing against somebody that <laughs> stops caring or stops being. It's not that
1: I stopped caring. I said, I stopped remembering.
0: <laughs> I think that Braden did both. Stopped caring and <laughs> stopped remembering. He's in 49th place, guys, 49th of 56. And three of those have not set lineups all year. So really 49th of 53 Braden, Love you, bud. But uh, you're doing much better in the uh, tourney challenge groove in 440 Sports. Uh, congrats to our leader, though. Fockery is on top right now by, like, 30-something points. Clean in-house right now, but a lot of soccer left to play. Uh, 440 Sports tourney challenge, uh, Braden much better. He's in second place with his bracket. I'm in fourth, by the way. I'm hanging in there primarily because I picked against Tennessee. I, I, I used my better judgment and didn't expect them to do anything, and unfortunately, that broke my heart and proved me right. Did you enter that, by the way, or are you? Are you I think I
1: forgot to. I'm a, I'm a big forgetting to submit my electronic sports competition yeah. <laughs> things this time of year.
0: Charlotte. I've been hanging around the house doing match prep and a whole lot else with the family out of town.
1: I did uh, advise people against picking Virginia Tech to beat Texas. Virginia Tech was like a super hot like Cinderella team for people to pick this year. And anybody who was listening to me uh, is much happier for it because I, I knew that was not going to
0: be the you case. You should have advised me on that one because I yeah. definitely picked that. I definitely yeah. picked that. Oh, well. Content recommendations to close things out. There's a good podcast out there that uh, actually I'm totally stealing from Steve Cavendish's content recommendation on Lamestream Sports. We also are stealing the idea of having content recommendations from that. So that didn't cancel each other out. That just doubles the theft. That's okay. <laughs> um, he recommended this and it's soccer related. So I'm going to recommend it. I've listened to it since. Uh, the Crack. It's a podcast, it's not dirty. Uh, it's, uh, it features DeMarcus Beasley and a Gucci on Yewoo. And I, I don't know the origin of the name. Uh, I do know the podcast is great. Yes.
1: It is Mexican and Central American slang for like a badass player.
0: Cool. They are the yeah. crack.
1: Yeah. Alessun Al- crack is what. Oh, man. Um, nice. you Yeah. You follow you follow a uh, native Spanish speaker uh, soccer players on Instagram. You're going to see. A crack used a lot. It's very it's a very weird, like almost spanglishism. But I like it. Go. I like That's it. I it do is.
0: follow several, but I've not seen that. So now now I'm up on it. Now thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Demarcus and Agucci have, have really deep conversations with a lot of folks. I was listening to Christian Prolisic's interview recently. A great one with Josie outdoor leading into the season, mm-hmm. talking about his experience with uh with Chris Armis in Toronto, and he's gracious, but also very candid. And it's good, and, and I, I will agree with Steve's assessment that they're the, both those guys are really good at just kind of sitting down and talking ball, and the interview subject kind of forgets they're being interviewed, and all of a sudden, it's just a good a good Zoom conversation. It's what, honestly, good podcasts should aspire to do, mm-hmm. and uh, they do it well. It's, it's a good listening, and it's called The Crack.
1: My content recommendation is the Sweet 16. If you tune in to, I don't know, presumably CBS at, at 6 30, uh, shortly before the US men's national team takes on Mexico, you can plan out your whole evening next Thursday. Or this around Thursday, Michigan? Sorry. Really? Yeah, yeah no, uh, just around sitting in front of the TV and watching sports. Uh, yeah, that's what I want you to watch. I was gonna come up with a real one, but now I'm just gonna keep rubbing it in.
0: Yeah, I knew knew you would. I expect nothing. But 6:29 p.m. is when the music will start. The music that is so exciting on Thursday and so heartbreaking (laughs) by Sunday for me, usually of that first weekend. Uh, Michigan and Villanova. I mean. I, I don't it's, know. It's
1: not going to go well. If you, if you are a Tennessee fan who listens to this podcast, presumably we have many more of those than we have Michigan fans who listen to this podcast, and you want to get catharsis by seeing my dear alma mater just get its teeth kicked in, that's another reason for you to watch it.
0: We'll see, man. Michigan's been tested against... Uh... Some of the toughest competition in the country. They play in the best conference in the league, in the the nation, which I would have argued until the SEC went basically over and only Arkansas is left in the tournament of the uh, six teams teams that that made it. All right, enough college basketball. Back to soccer. Thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, Thanks to ML Rose for sponsoring us. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Hop on, Apple Podcasts. Give us a quick rating. Give us a review. And uh, international break this weekend. Going to have a, a great episode for you next week, though, leading up to the Columbus match. This has been Club and Country on the 440 Sports Network. Have a great week.